hustling, every day I'm 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 every day I'm every day I'm hustling, every day I'm hustling, and welcome. You are listening to the Hustle Points Podcast. I am your host, Rudy St. Clair, and joining me today is NBA scouting extraordinaire and Mavericks fan, Max Levy. How are you doing today, Max? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I don't like to call myself anything great or anything, but I hope my dream is always to get there and keep getting better. So I've definitely made a lot of progress since I started this whole thing. Oh, yeah. I definitely, definitely enjoy your show. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at NBA underscore Rudy. And tell me I clearly don't know basketball. Max, where can the people find you? Uh, at Max Scouts. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like M, the first M and the first S are capitalized. Uh, that's on Twitter. And then uh, whenever the website gets relaunched, uh, my draft work will be found on uh, LockDraft.com. And I might have a couple Mavericks pieces coming on the Dallas Prospect. I'm just not sure when I'm going to be able to get to them. Awesome. Heck yeah. Well, um. Let's go ahead and jump into the the juicy fan stories. Uh, tell me, what was the single moment, or at least just the beginning, where you knew that you were going to be a basketball fan, or even a Mavericks fan specifically? Was was there a single moment? Well, I could go two ways with this, because I became a fan late, relatively, but... I sort of had been watching before, but sports, except for Oklahoma uh, football in uh, my mother's house, outside of that, it wasn't in our house because, I mean, we like the closest thing I ever had to a consistent sports watching experience was like sort of watching the Cowboys and also my dad being a sort of Broncos fan, but other than that, basketball was never a big thing in the house, so it took for me to be a hardcore fan until the 2011 run. Not it didn't take till the finals. I I latched on during the Lakers series. Really, how old were you when that was happening? Um, I was not yet nine years. I'm uh, not yet ten years old. So okay. coming around nine and a half or so. Okay, yeah, so that's still definitely like a, a childhood-type experience for sure. I know I, I um, personally, with my basketball love affairs beginning, uh, also didn't quite come in early childhood, but it came during my, my youth for sure. Um, so during that Lakers series, was there um, a single iconic moment that really sold you on the greatness of the game, or was it just the whole experience of latching onto the local team, or... What was it exactly? Uh, I think it would be coming down to two things. Number one, I I quickly, obviously, came to love Dirk Nowitzki, like, for real. And then I think I was also a huge fan of J.J. Barea in that series. He was just pissing the heck off of these Lakers players. And then game four, I really got into it when uh, Andrew Bynum to try to end J.J. Beret's life with uh, shoving him to the ground with all, what, six, well, he's got to be, what, six eleven, six seven foot, 260 pounds of him into J.J. Beret's five foot ten, one fifty frame. <laughs> and yeah. nearly, like, it looked like he killed him. 
Bait it. You bait it. And one. And the flagrant. Just that out there. Yeah, that, that got me going a lot, too. Uh, I loved Peja. Oh, my God. I was a huge Peja fan during that series. And then he just disappeared off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that series is definitely the last time we heard from Peja Stojakovic. Yeah, I mean, he was like a buyout addition. So, like, he barely even – I think he played, like, less than 12 minutes a game during the regular season. I could be wrong about that. I wasn't even watching much during the regular season because, like I said, I didn't really have – basketball wasn't in the family, so I didn't have an experience of just attaching to it yet. Right. But, I mean, hey, the playoffs are a perfect time to do that. I mean, you witnessed arguably the greatest moment in Dallas Mavericks history, I would say. I mean, the championship run with Dirk. I mean, I can't name a single Mavericks story that is more significant to the history of the team than that and that alone. Now – Luca might uh, change that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Luca has mega superstar potential. Um, as a prospect scouting type of guy, uh, what did you think about Luca when he got drafted to your team? Were you excited? Were you uh, nervous at all? What What were your thoughts? So I was one of those guys that went to the Dallas Mavericks uh, draft party. Uh, it was in like deep ellum ish it was at uh, i believe it was it was like some like warehouse building close to the to uh i think it was close to the bomb factory or whatever it's a it's a music venue if you haven't heard of it it's really popular in dallas but yeah we went to that party at that warehouse place or whatever and uh they had this huge like event set up but then uh whenever they got to uh the second pick after bagley Got picked, and then uh, Woj was like, uh, "The Mavericks are gonna, they're gonna trade down, they're gonna trade up from uh, the fifth pick and send their future first for Luka Doncic, and then they'll pick Trey Young at five to send to Atlanta." And I was like, I was already going insane once I heard that because pre-draft, I was like, Luka was my first love in this draft but i also had a saying that uh jaron jackson was like my like my affair <laughs> yeah i loved him i still love him he's playing great and he, i still think he's kind of slept on in general consensus on draft twitter he's not but like people were saying with jaron jackson how like he his shy is funky can't really shoot and then he shoots 40 percent from three from the NBA three in college and now he's shooting 36% from three on two and a half attempts. So it's, it's still, it's I mean, with how much people underrated Jared just because he has a funky jump shot. And because he didn't play that great in college, except for the blocks. Uh, if you're looking at standard statistics and clutchness or whatever, because you see, you have to have clutchness. But Luca has the clutchness, by the way, I should point that out. No, you're you're absolutely right about Luca, though. I mean, that dude looks like a bona fide NBA superstar on the floor, just the way that he controls the game, and the way he shows up in big moments. Of course, he's already had a few moments of uh, clear, raw emotional expression on the court, like when he ripped his jersey, and uh, you, you guys really nailed it on, on the Luca pick. I was really hoping that you and Atlanta would really mess up that draft and allow Luca to fall to my Grizzlies at four. but hey, You just... got Jaren. Yeah, yeah. I'm very happy with Jaren, make no mistake. 
But Luca is just like, you know, he walks onto the floor and everybody starts paying attention to him immediately. And that is something that a market like Memphis could really afford to use. Uh, whereas Jared, who will be an all-star for years to come, you know, pending some sort of disaster, um, great, but he just doesn't command the attention that a superstar like Luca does, at least not immediately. I think in three, four, five years when Jaren's on that second contract and entering his physical prime at 24-plus years old, because he's still only a teenager, uh, I think he will be arguably the best big man in the league by then, but we shall see. That's that's a little bit bold. I don't want to be too optimistic. I mean, he still fouls everybody all the time. The coach still doesn't know how to use him, and now he doesn't really have a veteran big man to give him any savvy big man tricks with Mark in Toronto. So we shall see. I mean, he does, though. He has Joachim Noah. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll teach him how to be really fiery on the floor, how to give it his all all the time. And uh, how to make defensive a... player of the year, right? Didn't he win? I mean, that can only help, right? I mean, his it was this is a stupid comparison, but Chauncey was saying he is Joakim Noah with like with like better perimeter game, even though I would say that's undersells Jaron significantly. Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. I love Chauncey; he was my favorite player growing up. But as an analyst, once in a while he'll say something, and I'll be like, "Did he think about that before he came on TV, or did he just think about that right now and say it?" And a lot of ex-NBA players apparently don't prep, so... Well, yeah, that's because everyone on the network just treats what they say as absolute gospel. Which, I mean, given they are probably more knowledgeable about the game than anybody else who works in the studio, but that doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be uh, working like everybody else, you know, doing the prep work. Like, I've heard that Paul Pierce does literally zero prep work, and I feel like it shows... Yeah, I mean, like, Paul Pierce is, is something else. But um, let's get a little bit back to uh to Dallas. So you uh, tell me how you feel about Luka. Tell me how you feel about Luka and Chris Stops, and then tell me how you just feel about Chris Stops sans Luka. Um, well, like, how I feel, like, on the court or whatever, or, like, their future, like, because I could take this a couple of different directions, really. Oh, yeah, just whatever this seems like the most significant thing that you, you need to get out, you know. Whatever, whatever's burning inside you with with your. What's burning you know. inside of me is me seeing Luca run a pick and pop with Chris Dots Porzingis from thirty feet. <laughs> That's what's burning inside of me because Luca's gonna step into a twenty nine footer and he's gonna be able to hit it because we've seen him hit him. I'm not saying it's gonna happen every single time, but if it's, it just needs that one play whenever nobody's hitting a shot for twenty points in a row. Luca does a pick and pop with Chris Stapps, and then all of a sudden, thirty footer gets the whole crowd up amped up, and then Mavs go on this twenty five point run, and they barely win. And that I mean, this is on my mind because I went to the Blazers game a couple weeks back, and uh, that kind of was the same situation, except it wasn't like a thirty footer; it was just Luca taking over the fourth quarter after Dame had Dame time a quarter too early. Yeah, well, it's always nice to see a sort of point guard battle. Uh, I feel like Luca and Kristaps are um, sort of comparable to where Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were last year. Um, obviously, Kristaps uh, hasn't played with Luca yet, so when I say that, I mean uh, that next season they'll be in like sort of the same place timeline-wise as Ben and Joel were last year. Am I wrong for thinking that that's a reasonable comparison? Obviously, Luca can shoot and Ben can't, and uh, 
Luka is not basically a, a point big man. But outside of those two differences, and, you know, Joel is obviously much stronger inside, uh, I do think it's a reasonable comparison, at least as, in terms of, uh, like, prestige of the player, caliber of the duo, however you want to phrase it. Just talent level, I think it's a it's a similar uh, duo, and I think that they're going to be a powerhouse for years to come, personally. Uh, do you I'll think that it. Ben Simmons and I'll Joel Embiid have a less bright future than uh, Luca and Kristaps, or do you think that uh, they'll outplay him? What do you what do you see down the line? Well, the thing with Ben and Joel is that their fit is not the same. Luca and Kristaps fit together like a, like a glove, like it's it's insane because they both can shoot. Um, Luca's an excellent passer, so if Kristaps wants to spot up in the corner and take a couple three pointers, he can handle that. Luca's gonna be able to hit him on every single post feed. Luca's gonna be able to find him on these rolls and cuts for lobs because Luca already knows how to hit guys like Dwight Powell, who are one of the best finishers in the league, and have ups. And Kristaps doesn't have the ups, but he's so long it doesn't matter. So. Those things all give a huge plus to Luca and Kristaps, whereas JoJo is a post big man, so it kind of negates the whole point of even having Ben Simmons on the floor. Whenever all JoJo's going to do is back down, back down, back down. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; the post feeds are nice, but like, I'm TJ McConnell can execute those post feeds. Like, yeah, you're definitely right. I feel like a lot of the value in Ben and Joel is that if you split them up. And let's say they both play 36 a game. You know, if you have them both out there for 24 a night where they're not playing with each other, your team's going to be good. They take up a similar space on the floor, uh, you know, inside the paint or and uh, within the arc. Nothing from, from outside unless you got Joel taking a, uh, you know, a jump shot from the top of the key. Uh, outside of that, though, they both operate in the same area. And for that reason, a lot of people have been saying that maybe they should consider giving away Ben Simmons, maybe Joel Embiid, but most people don't say give away Joel Embiid. Uh, whereas, like you're saying, Chris Stops and Luca seems like a hand in glove. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it how it develops over time. Um, so when the trade happened for Chris Stapps, how did you feel uh, instinctively? Do you, uh, do you have a first reaction that maybe you, you're second-guessing now? Or are you really stuck with the same thoughts and feelings since the trade happened? What's What are your thoughts on the Chris Stapps trade as a whole? Thoughts are Mavs fans panic too hard about this. My thoughts about it, because whenever the news came out that Chris Stapps wasn't going to play, people were already like, oh my god, we made this trade and he might not ever even play for us because maybe he leaves us or maybe he just never gets healthy ever again. I was like, y'all, the Dallas Mavericks have one of the best training staffs in the league. Other teams turned down Tyson Chandler for 2011 because they were too afraid of his injury history and his health. The Mavericks took him on, and they were able to keep him healthy for an entire season and win an NBA championship. The Mavericks kept Dirt Nowitzki playing without significant injuries except for one time in, like, what, 2013? Outside of that, uh, he's been playing, like, 70-plus games every single year for 20 years. Right. Incredible feat. That's sort of the only sentiment I heard out of Dallas when the trade went down was that the training staff in Dallas knew how to deal with, you know, big seven footers and how to keep their careers long uh, with a Dirk focus, especially. 
And with Kristaps uh, being effectively a, sold as a souped-up Dirk when he first came to the league, it really does seem like a perfect fit. Um, but honestly, I didn't hear a lot of panic out of Dallas. That That's a, at least from my perspective, seems like a hyper-local type of reaction because for me, at least on my Twitter feed, uh, it seemed like most of the panic was coming out of New York. No, 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 no. The immediate reaction was happiness in Dallas. We're talking like a week down the line when the Mavericks hold their press conference and they're like, Chris Tapps is not going to play this year. Then things start to change. Yeah, is that the the press Uh, conference where Mark Cuban answered for Chris Tapps saying like, let me answer that for you. Yes, he's going to be with us long term. I mean, yeah, but Chris Tapps is like, yeah, we're on the we're on the same page. Yeah. So I I have faith in that. That wasn't BS. I I, I need to have faith in that because otherwise life is about to get really sad. But um, regardless, the immediate reaction was all like, oh my god, we traded away Dennis who didn't even want to be here for Chris Daff, Porzingis? Yeah, we were all like, this is a heist. I still think it was a heist. Like, I refuse to believe that they, the Knicks didn't, that they examined all their other options whenever the best return they got was cap space, Dennis Smith Jr., and two first-round picks. Right. I... I feel like they could have gotten more because if Kawhi Leonard can return you DeMar DeRozan and uh, Jakob Pertl, if you can get a four-year uh, low-tier star and Jakob Pertl for a, all, for a superstar with one year left on his deal, then a future superstar should at least warrant either, and I wouldn't say more first-round picks, but like a higher-quality player or something like that, like... You'd think someone would be willing to offer up something of greater value than Dennis Smith Jr. space, but the Knicks clearly are obsessed with getting free agents again, and then they'll end up with like Tobias Harris, yeah, uh, somebody yeah. else that isn't really like maybe they end up with like Mike Conley somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. If the Grizzlies could trade away two years of Mike Conley to the Knicks for just some grotesque Knicks package, as much as I would hate it for Mike, I would really love it for the Grizz because the Knicks always oversell. Always. I think the only uh, good deal they've ever made is probably wait actually no i got this backwards in my head i was thinking of when they traded for andre bargani but i was thinking of it from the raptors perspective like oh yeah they got a first round pick out of bargani but the knicks gave up a first round pick for (laughs) bargani oh man good times what did that first round pick turn into do we remember oh god i think that's the worst part here i'm i'm literally gonna go well out of my way to look this up right quick because i know I just know it's one of those stories that deserves to be told. Um, Andre. Um, yes. If while you looked it up, I want to quickly mention because we were I I had one thought that I can't leave closed about the Ben Simmons and JoJo situation. Yeah. JoJo, and then you go back to the 1990s and you look at Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal, and nowadays this is basically a diet version of that because, uh. Penny Penny Hardaway had a better uh, perimeter game than Ben Simmons did, and Shaq was Shaq. JoJo is not Shaq, and Ben Simmons does not have the perimeter game of a Penny Hardaway. And 
for that reason, I struggle to see without them getting significant help, which at this exact moment in time they have, but who knows to go around for that. Like, especially Tobias Harris and especially Jimmy Butler in particular. The big worries, whether they want to go to L.A. or New York or... Maybe one of them wants to go to Brooklyn for something. I could see Jimmy going to Brooklyn. I don't know why, but it just feels like it fits. Yeah, as long as he doesn't come to Dallas, I don't want him here. <laughs> yeah, J- Jimmy Butler may or may not be a good teammate. We still don't know. The jury's out. <laughs> He's definitely not good with young players, and I don't want him here. Yeah, you guys are uh, are not quite in like a like a rebuild, but in like a initial build <laughs> like it's not it's it's not a rebuild because you never really tore it down but it's you're building something new there and it's definitely very exciting we tore it down we tore it down we went from competing for the playoffs to having darren williams t- three years too late as our starting point guard and probably our best player being Arguably, at that point in time, Seth Curry. Right. Arguably. There's a couple other guys, but, I mean, Harrison Barnes, he put up the points, but the ISO was just so much. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle how much ISO. And then now, it just he kept doing it, and he just had to get out of town. So, um, do you have any strong feelings about Rajon Rondo, then? Um, Yeah. One's uh, they're they're too they're too extreme. So I'll just I'll just leave it at <laughs> I'll just leave it at the fact that uh, on the Dallas prospect they had this bet going that I kind of made them I didn't make them do but I we I supported the the punishment for losing, which is you have to go out in public uh, specifically to the American Airlines Center and wear a Mavs Rondo jersey, and uh, then tell say how much you love Rondo. And then post on your Instagram or Twitter with you in a Rondo jersey, and then do a <laughs> Dallas Prospect live stream in the Rondo jersey. <laughs> that was pretty good, pretty freaking good, yeah. man. I'm just gonna leave it at that though, because otherwise it's gonna get painful. Yeah, that that sheds enough. And I don't, I only like to make my guests feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't like to make them feel total full blown pain. But um, I got pain. <laughs> I got the scoop on the uh, on the Barangani trade, and so it actually, in a roundabout way, enabled the Kawhi Leonard acquisition. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely a, a good no brainer move for the Raptors, even years down the line. Um, did, who did the pick become though? Wait, hold on. Uh, Toronto Raptors from Denver via New York. Yep. Jakob Pertle. So there you go. And that turned into uh, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, they probably could have traded OG on Anobi or something, but it's better to have OG than not. So Yeah, I definitely agree. OG could be like a really good player one day. I feel like OG is probably the most slept on young Raptor. A weird, very specific type of uh, praise. <laughs> but uh, he deserves it. I think OG's good. It's. Yeah, I think OG is going to end up having some kind of meteoric rise like Siakam did this year, eventually. I hope so. Oh, yeah. I love Siakam. I think Siakam is going to be a top 15 player in a couple years. He's he's stupid good. He reminds me so much of Draymond Green, but 
athletic and nice. <laughs> yeah, the this like goes in like I'm gonna just gonna go in a one minute thing about Zion Williamson here. Um, I don't want to go too much into actual draft prospects because you didn't want to, but Zion is like I I said he's like a souped up Draymond on offense, <laughs> which is fair. I think that's an understatement. I think he's a souped up Pascal with Draymond skill oh. offense now. And like double Pascal's athleticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. People have been talking about Zion like he's some potential bust um, just because he's probably not the next LeBron. But he doesn't need to be. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't need to be. Like if he could be a souped up Draymond Green or a souped up Pascal X Draymond Green then that is an incredible value, even for a number one overall pick, especially in a weak draft class. I mean, he's could be the he's literally like the modern day Charles Barkley to some people, which I don't, I can't speak on that much, but I would, I wouldn't mind the comparison. I don't think. Yeah, as as some youngsters like you and I both are, we can't really talk too much about Charles Barkley. Uh, the round mound of rebound that told the story of Dirk dropping 52 points on Scottie Pippen. <laughs> Man, there was this... Uh, Mere 17. There, there was this clip. I, I think it came up from a halftime show uh, in 2019. Like, it's a very recent clip where Charles is complaining about the existence of super teams and, you know, that whole shtick. And, uh, but then... Uh, Shaq said something along the lines of like, but didn't you request a trade to go and play with other players that were good like you? He's like, no, I didn't request a trade. And Shaq's just looking at him like, just like has this, this gaze at him like he wants to call BS, but just doesn't have the gall to do so live on air. Doesn't want to actually piss off Chuck, you know? Well, I mean, we all know who'd win in a fight, so. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I feel like Shaq could Chuck beat Chuck in most Shaq things. Would throw a basketball at him. Yeah, yeah. Give me your give me your quick scouting report on how you think these these old men Shaq and Chuck would would fare in a one on one. You think that Shaq would still dominate with his size? Does Chuck have more bounce? Can either of them even walk? Um, I mean, the only way Chuck wins is if he gets him when Shaq isn't paying attention. <laughs> because Chuck is basically the same I'm, I'm going to make this joke I'm not sure if it's accurate but Chuck is like the same mass as Shaq <laughs> seven foot and uh, so for that reason alone you can kind of take him but the only way Chuck wins really is if he, take, if he catches him off guard and tackles him just gives him a good form think, tackle I mean I don't even think Chuck like works out at all so yeah i think shaq theoretically works out sometimes i mean he's around a lot more young players so i think he sort of has to work out to keep his whole um like consulting thing going from time to time i wonder if <laughs> i wonder what it's like to experience like the shaq big man camp you know to to really be like a 19 or 20 year old whoever trying to get in the league or who's in the league and trying to make a name for themselves and just deal with this monster of a man who's so big, not just in you know physical stature, but in personality and in historical significance. Like, he's just big in every way. 
and just be Digging in the gold presence bond of commercials. <laughs> oh man, I love Bobon. This is a this is a super pro Bobon podcast, but I don't think there's an anti Bobon. Did show. I say Bobon? I thought you I said, said Bobon. I said gold bonds. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I always got Bobon on the brain. <laughs> I love I love Bobon too. Toby and Bobby, I'm happy they're still together. Yeah, man, that's that's so makes me so happy. I'm really looking forward to the day where the people who do the production for Toby and Bobby and the people who do the production for Jimmy Butler's YouTube channel uh, get together in the same room and form some sort of collaboration episode on Jimmy's YouTube channel or something like that. I think that would be really fun. I, I'm really digging these NBA player YouTube channels and other like highly produced, borderline inauthentic social media experiences they're giving fans. It's really a cool little look into the inside of their life. Have you ever seen Jimmy Butler's YouTube channel? I know about it. Um, I think the only thing with player YouTube channels is that it's a little awkward to watch Kevin Durant's YouTube channel to me. <laughs> I've never tuned into to KD's YouTube channel. What's he has like? a whole bunch of like, uh, you, you know, he has the, he had those interview things with like JaVale McGee and stuff. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. It was it was mostly <laughs> like, hey, we'll have a couple other players out here. We're just gonna talk in like the parking lot about stuff. I don't know. It was just look. It was either that or like they went around like interviewing random fans. I wasn't yeah. really sure what they were doing. This was this was like a year ago now because they had like JaVale, obviously. Right. Right. I think the the content king amongst players is definitely CJ McCollum with the Pull Up podcast. That's that man produces more content at a at a higher quality clip than any other player in the NBA. Now maybe if he could produce game <laughs> that's that's comparable to the rest of the league in the same way, the Portland Trailblazers might be a real contender instead of like the best non-contender in the West for two or three years running now. Need a Dame Dollar podcast. <laughs> yeah, man, I'd love to hear Damian Lillard talk, even if it was just about like non basketball, like just get his opinions on like hip hop culture or some shit like that. It'd be fun. I want to talk about all the smoke in the rap game. Oh yeah, Damian Lillard's probably the best rapper in the NBA. I don't know. I haven't heard yeah. Shump in a few years, but you know. I want to see a rap battle between Dame Lillard and Shaq? Yeah, now we're talking. It'd be like a sort of like the. The All Star Skills Challenge, where the the bigs oh, versus yes, the smalls. All Star Rap Battle. Yeah. Oh, let's do it. I would actually strongly prefer that to the Skills Challenge, the Taco Bell Skills Challenge. Hey, I want Luca winning that thing, okay? Hey, hey, everyone deserves to to win whatever contest that they compete in. But that doesn't mean that contest is entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I liked it last year. It was pretty good. Spencer Dinwiddie put on a good show. I love Spencer Dinwiddie. He's a he's been one of my favorite players ever since he was like Brandon Knight's backup in Detroit and he was just a scrub with a mustache. Brandon Knight's backup. Wow. I I had to really think about what I just said, but that was the truth, wasn't it? Spencer Diddy was uh, Brandon I'm, Knight's backup. Even, I don't even know if he was Brandon Knight's backup as much as he was that guy that sat on the bench cuz I think really Ish Smith was the backup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was he was deep on the bench in Detroit for sure. Uh, I would like to look up. Spen- I would like to look up Spencer's number against this tr- Detroit because he always turns it on when he plays his old team. Oh uh, yeah, I mean it's all, it's kind of like West Matthews with that. West Matthews has always had these big revenge games against Portland, and uh, I just I'm just happy the Mavs um, don't. They're going to play the Pacers soon, but it's only going to be once. So the most West Matthews can do is kill our win loss record by one. Yeah, but hey. 
I don't think uh, Wes Matthews is going to do more damage than uh, really much of anyone else on the on the Mavericks these days. Like, I might honestly even take Courtney Lee over Wes Matthews at times. No, I would too, but Wes Matthews has these 30-point revenge games where he just bombs all his threes. It's just literally like he, he always goes off against Portland, hey, especially well. on the road. Well, I'll mark my calendar for when Indiana and Dallas match up this season and uh, keep you in mind when I'm watching the game. I mean, the Mavs got to win it because there's no old depot. So. Yeah. Indiana's been pretty good, though, without depot. I think they're still going to make the playoffs. The same. It's not the same. It's they compete, though. All right. All right. Last little bit. I wanted to uh, really pick your brain on this matter uh, more than anything else because uh, as interesting as fandom is and as just shooting the NBA shit is. Uh, what I'd really like to know is um, what the creative process is like for you as somebody who's just delving into the world of uh, NBA prospect scouting. So tell me what that whole process is like, the things that you've learned, uh, mistakes you've made, success stories, whatever. Well, uh, the first thing you learn the first time you write a piece and you try to put film in there, like film you've watched, and then try to incorporate that film that you've watched into your articles, it is a major pain to do. Like, you have to cut up the video, then you have to upload the video to a site, then you have to embed the video and make sure the embed actually works. <laughs> so <laughs> that takes that takes hours. Like, literally, it took me, th- it took me like, f- four hours to get all the film into the DeAndre Jordan piece I wrote it was difficult, man. That took so long. <laughs> yeah, scouting is because... definitely one of those things that's super meticulous, I would imagine. Oh, well, yeah, the scouting is obviously the skill part, but it's not the most, it's not the thing that gets on your nerves. The thing that gets on your nerves is all the technical stuff just to get the thing out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely agree. I feel like a lot of any sort of creative hobby or habit or job whatever anything creative you do there's the fun part that is actually involved in the things that you want to be doing and then there's the work that comes with actually producing the content that you want to make uh i love having this conversation of course um recording it is not a challenge at all editing it um while enjoyable in a way is not exactly what i'm here for you know so no, I don't mind editing stuff either. It's more when you're dealing with, ah, oh, does this embed code work? Ah, oh, does does this is this video uploaded properly? Ah, oh, is this is uh is this video properly captured with all the proper seconds of play I want to show in it? Is this video is are the clips properly grouped together into the compilation I want people to see for this exact uh, spot in the article? That. Hence a little bit. It's a bit much for me, but it's okay. Um, Plus, just time, like, I'm like thinking about oh, like no, no, you're good. Plus, just like thinking about like content strategy in general, like the optimal time to upload. Uh, you know, like what you're saying, like the best place to put images, the best way to cut up a clip in a way that makes sense for what you're writing. There's really a lot of little nuances that I feel like the average consumer of content doesn't really look into or think much about uh when it comes to just like the little nitty-gritty details like that for 
strategically placing and posting your content in the right places in the right ways, yada yada. I mean, the the thing with it really is that I don't control when my stuff gets published because it's on other people's sites. People I like, I know them. It's not like oh, I'm sending off to Mystery Man, but um, the, the I, I I just have to make sure the article is properly made, and then it'll get lightly edited to make sure things work, because usually I can't get it to work on my own, so I get the editor to make it work because it's their website, so they can help me out with that part. But it still have to get it to the point where that actually functions. Um, the the biggest thing really is just like me criticizing myself was like, ah, oh, did I, did I articulate my words properly? And then does my words reflect what I really saw or are my emotions playing into this? Are my biases playing into this? This is something you have to consider, not just when you're watching, but also after you watched and when you're writing too, because sometimes you might feel completely different about like you're in some kind of mood or whatever, but you, you have to power through it. And yeah, it was, it's still been a bit difficult for me to get in the zone with that, mm-hmm. but um, I'm getting a little better every single time. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge to sort of carp compartmentalize your sports emotions and uh, try to treat the game that you're watching as just a mere event that you have to observe in like a sort of scientific way. Right. And, and removing yourself from the equation and only doing the rational things when it comes to what you're taking note of, what you're paying attention to, what you're watching. Um, that is and definitely then, a challenge. And, and another thing, when you record a podcast and then you get on a tangent about like how something about the team there that this prospect X is playing for, you don't really like that their team does that, and then that angers you, and then you end up saying something about a prospect that you didn't really mean because you were just kind of highly angry about something especially in the scouting thing where you need to be the most like uh, objective person you possibly can be and that's tough when especially when sometimes I'm grinding out these games at midnight and stuff because I'm just trying to get as much as I can in or I'm desperately trying to catch up because some of the things got in the way such and such um, like this, that entire thing is, is tough to balance between that and, and all of this stuff, but I feel like I'm getting a better grip of it every single day and being more productive with it as I go along. And that's, that's all that matters is just making sure when that you get better about doing what you're doing every single time and, instead of remaining stagnant. Yeah, absolutely. It's always about the steady improvement, you know? So you have, um, at least somewhat of a team around you i understand you know at least like a you have other people hosting your content things like that uh you have other people involved in your creative process do you think that helps you or hurts you more do you ever feel like held back by the other people in involved in your creative process or do you feel like they support you more than you? or something in between oh without having bibs and richard with me It'd be a very lonely podcast, I think, because me just talking into basically the wind about draft prospects and then 
also you can't really ask questions because you're constantly just alone talking about drafts if you don't have another person. It's always best when you're talking about draft to get a conversation going. Kind of like share opinion X versus opinion Y and talk about how one person feels versus another. And it just creates a lot better flow than trying to just captain the whole thing on your own. And also both Bibbs and Richard are significantly more experienced than me. So that's, that's another thing I, I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Having, having people around you who have been there and done that before, whatever it is in any context always feels like a help for me. At least I know like I can be a little bit hard headed sometimes a little bit stubborn and want to do things in my own way and try to achieve like this oddly specific vision sometimes or just like want to experiment with something in a, in a, you know, obviously experimental way. And if I didn't very actively limit myself to conducting my practice of this podcast and everything else surrounding it in a very specific way, then I would definitely be off the rails. And um, I feel like it would definitely be a lot easier for me to do that if I had another party involved helping me keep that focus. But for now, it's it's been mostly just me talking into the wind like you're saying. Uh, but for the draft, that's that's uh, even harder to do, I would imagine, just because when you put your opinion out there about a certain prospect, you know, it's interesting on its own, sure, but it's much more interesting in the context of whether or not it aligns with the other people in the room and seeing the differences come out through conversation like you're saying. I definitely uh, I mean, feel what you're saying. Another, yeah, another thing with that is it's kind of hard to keep yourself, like you were saying, it's kind of hard just to keep yourself accountable like keeping yourself in check when it's just you because no one can challenge you on an opinion. And when it's the NBA draft, this is the type of thing where you want people to challenge you. You want to be critiqued because it's going to make you better. I've never felt held back. We've had the only thing I would say that'd be issues is that we seem to have trouble getting the whole gang together. Right. Yeah. Jared yes. hasn't been able to be around because his job gave him problems and stuff like that just personal life issues yeah but stuff that's borderline inescapable yeah but the good stuff is he's gonna he's gonna be back soon and more permanently back because there's made changes in his life so that'll be awesome what other um types of consistent challenges pop up when you're trying to do your scouting thing Basically, whenever you're starting this from scratch, whenever I did in last, like, fall, basically, like, early last fall, you're starting from a place where you know less about basketball than a lot of people around you, and you need to catch up fast. And to be honest, this draft is kind of my catch-up draft, and then next year is going to be the real explosion of whenever I actually know a lot and I know how to handle the draft cycle and I know basketball better, the thing really starts to click. This is like, this is like the warm up. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a, a fair and fun way to look at it. It keeps you from being like too hard on yourself and expecting perfection out of yourself, even though you haven't put in the reps to be anywhere near perfect. You know, it's really healthy to, look at 
your first run at something like this as a warm-up or as a trial or as practice, however you want to phrase it. You know, it, it's really good to understand before you go into a creative endeavor that you're not going to be able to create the, the perfect product that you envision from the jump. You need to put in the reps to get to the point to where you're capable of manifesting your vision uh, in a way that actually represents it fairly. Uh, and then another thing is that you got to do the warm-up right, but if you get it wrong, the stakes are lower. Right, right. Next, What everyone doesn't really get yet is that next year's draft is significantly better than this one is at the moment in terms of young, high, really talented prospects that are very promising. I don't think it's comparable to 2018 or anything, but it's it's a cut it's a cloth it's a cut higher from the cloth than this year's draft outside of Zion. Yeah, it's it's really just about like the Duke kids and then I've heard a little bit about literally someone else who doesn't go to Duke who I just don't even remember their name. But I've only uh, heard about school. Yeah, yeah, that's actually it. Yeah, so there's like four notable prospects out of the upcoming 60 that are about to get drafted. Three of those dudes are probably going to be sleepers out of the, you know, the the other field outside of the four. And then even with those top four, you don't even know if 100% for sure if all four will ever make an all-star game. You know, Zion feels like a pretty locked-in thing. Uh, RJ Barrett supposed to be pretty good, but, you know you still never even know how good these guys are until they get to the league. I mean, people thought Evan Turner might be a good jump shooter uh, when he was still in college, you know, and that turned out to never be the case. It might have only been for a blip, but people had that idea. Yeah, the, the thing is, with these sorts of drafts where if you don't get number one pick, everything's kind of murky, you look at teams like the Boston Celtics, those sorts of teams that are really knowledgeable and they know their plans and they they execute them. The way to win in these drafts is to trade down and acquire more pieces or trade out and get either a current piece or a 2020 pick. Yeah, that could be a definitely a good way to win if you're a, like let's say you're Memphis for example where you're shooting to win roughly 35 games this year so you can get that ninth spot in the lottery so mathematically you're either getting a top four pick or the ninth and above pick meaning you're either getting a pick that's worth it or you're paying off the debt to boston for the jeff green trade finally if we pay off our debt to boston then cool but if we land a top four pick i would honestly be okay with us trading out of the draft entirely just to get like two future first-round picks from a decently poor team. Uh, you know, I'll take two lottery picks in, like, the middle of the lottery from draft classes that are worth it over a top-four pick in a weak class. There are two ways to go about it. Trading down in this draft can be very valuable. There are excellent role play, high-quality role-player pieces in this draft. There's just not that upper echelon, like, generational outside of Zion. 
in this draft. Like Jaron last year is is arguably a generational prospect on defense, or at least would have been if not for Anthony Davis. I still consider Jaron to be a cut above of Anthony Davis in regards to defensive instincts. Mm-hmm. He's he's just different. But with this 2019 draft, you have guys like Brandon Clark who have this unique mix of being an undersized dive threat that can also has a perimeter game and is a dominant defender at the college level. You have who was SEC player of the year last year, this year. He's, he's one of those guys that's kind of on the Draymond scale. He's, he's in that conversation, but he's a different sort of player than Draymond because of he's not he's not a perimeter uh playmaker as much as he is like a a post up and post feed playmaker mm-hmm. but important pieces you can add to your team that have underrated value that can really change the projection of your team so do you think a team like Memphis could benefit from trading down instead of trading out let's say if they got the fourth pick in this upcoming draft and try to shoot for two solid rotational type players instead of trying to, you know, take a home run swing on a potential second star. I'm Memphis and future picks aren't attractive because uh, you have your current pick and your 2020 pick will likely convey if your team gets any better. Or you can try to hunt players that'll help you right away and speed up Jaron Jackson's development, and then you can get that 2020 pick to finally convey because you just can't seem to get that dead off because you know you're going to have to pay it eventually. Ideally, if I'm Memphis, let's say I got pick four again, um, I'd probably want to trade down to... So I could get like a really interesting offer in the late top 10. I would try to trade towards like the teens i would be calling boston a lot looking to get like semi ojale and two of their first round picks yeah if memphis could retain their pick this year and then call boston and ask them very nicely to let us have our pick again in the future (laughs) we'll just you know trade our our fourth overall pick for like a pick in the teens and to be done with the Boston debt I'd be satisfied with that as well for sure I don't I'm not sure how they would be able to escape the with the trade um obligations I'm not sure how all that works I'm not sure whether you can trade those away I think uh basically it'd just be a return to sender type of issue <laughs> just like hey can we undo the Jeff Green trade, please? We'll 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 do whatever you want. <laughs> well, I, I feel like Memphis is at Danny Ainge's mer- mercy, in a in a way. Every team is at Danny Ainge's mercy if he wants them to be. <laughs> and uh, with that, I think that's that's a a funny lighthearted note to uh, to wrap it up on. Um, do you have any thoughts that you want to close out with? I'm just really appreciative of not only being on this, but all the people that have helped me along this journey and the advice I've received from those sorts of people in uh, upper echelons of the NBA world that um, don't really 
that aren't really well known among general people, but people that are really well in tune, really know and appreciate. And I appreciate having that opportunity. Yeah. For putting me on here as well, because I always love getting a chance to talk about draft and such and really anything. I'm, I'm, I can talk about basketball for a long time. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just talked to um this guy named Bobby Del Rio. Um, he's been on a bunch of podcasts lately. He's uh, just got a – maybe not just got, but he recently got a job beat writing uh, for TSJ 101. But the, the Raptors, but he is – uh, not totally draft oriented, but sort of has that front office sort of mind. And I'd love to put you guys together on this show uh, sometime during the summer when we're really in the heat of prospect talk. I think that'd be a, a very interesting uh, conversation if you're down in a couple. You can hit my line anytime. Well, um, one more time. Where can we where can we find you online? What's what's the name of your show? What's your Twitter handle? All that. Um, Twitter, uh, at Max Scouts, um, capital M, capital first S, work on LockDraft.com and, uh, some Mavericks pieces on the DallasProspect.com as well. Uh, I should have mentioned my podcast, so I'll go ahead and mention it now. The third round picks, uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google, cast box pocket casts whatever pretty much anything you would ever want to listen to a podcast on we got it on there for you yep 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 all right all right well i, I really appreciate your time max this is a really fun conversation uh like i said i'll i'll get it up uh in part in, in a day or two and then in full yeah um i'm debating whether or not i should shout out Bibbs and Richard's Twitter as well. I probably should, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, go for it. No reason not to. All right. Um, you can find our co-host Twitter uh, at MazDraft and their website, his website at MazDraft.com. That's uh, Richard. And then Bibbs, you can find his Twitter Adam Bibbs for uh, everything. And then Adam Bibbs Corner for Mavs and basketball talk specifically. And his website uh, BibbsCorner.com. I think that's a wrap. This is, like I said, this is a lot of fun. Thanks, thanks so much for your time. <laughs>